you love your work? Do you think it's possible? Well, you're about to find out. It's time for 48 Days to the Work You Love with Dan Miller on the 48 Days Online Radio Show. Whether you need a professional tune-up or a work overhaul, this is the program for you. Now, here's your host, Dan Miller. Well, we're going to be taking care of business. The next 48 minutes, we're going to be talking about questions that you, the real-life listeners, you out there in the trenches with me have asked questions. We're going to be unpacking those. Every week, we take the best of the questions and try to look at them in ways that will help all of us go to higher levels of success, me included. I love going through these questions because it helps me look at what I'm doing and find better ways to have fun and make money. Well, here's some of the questions we're going to be looking at today. We've got a title as our theme today, Is Your Work Your Art? Now, that'll come to light here in a little bit. Is your work your art? You may not consider yourself an artist, but I gather I'm going to convince you that you are before this podcast is over. Here's some of the questions. Dan, how can I replicate my income with my podcast? Now, we're going to park on that one a little bit because that's an important question. We're going to help shape what a podcast really is. Dan, I'm disappointed to find that someone else is already doing the business I want to start. How do I get over the fear that comes with wanting to start my own business? How do I turn a passion such as singing and playing a guitar into living without doing the starving artist routine? Dan, I'm more passionate about a less profitable area of my industry. What should I do? And how can I get into automotive painting bodywork? Well, here's our quotation for the day. Comes from St. Arrhenius who said, Art is what we do when we are fully alive. See, anything that you do with excellence, anything that you do work-wise when you're in the zone, when your best passion and talents come together, that is your art. If it's washing windows or mowing, mowing grass or painting pictures or doing sculpture or teaching a class or speaking or writing, all of those things are art. So if your work is not your art, chances are you're not doing work that releases the very best of who you are, that does not engage your passion and your talent. If those things are in place, your work is your art. Well, I always start with some success stories. Got lots of them. I am right fresh on the tails of having done the Innovate Conference here at the Sanctuary in Franklin, Tennessee. We could spend all day today just going through the stories of people who are here. I'm just going to share just a tidbit of those, but also got emails as usual. Here's an email that comes from Gerard in Raleigh, North Carolina, who says, I purchased your 48 low-cost business ideas book and took action. I purchased a small 14-foot box truck. Now, that's one of the ideas. I showed in there a picture of a 14-foot box truck that I have. It's said, my gosh, people are asking, every week people are asking me, you know, will you help me move something? Can I borrow the truck? Blah, blah, blah. And so Gerard says that he, in fact, purchased a small 14-foot box truck, simply went to different furniture stores asking to use me as a backup delivery pers- person or anyone who needs same-day service. I mixed that in with Dave Ramsey's statement, bring excellence to the ordinary every day. 
Every call I get is at least $100 or more. I call my cell phone the money phone because 99% of the time it rings, I make money. The other 1%, it's my wife. I started with a cheap old pickup truck, worked my way up. I still use the pickup truck just last night to make $150 cash, and it only took me 45 minutes. This business is nowhere near technical, and best of all, anyone can do it. If you work today, you get paid today. Thanks, Dan. Well, thank you for that note. I love those kind of stories. Uh, the truck I have, incidentally, is a previous, um, I think it's a previous Hertz rental truck. But anyway, perfectly maintained. Had about 119,000 miles on it when I got it. I paid $2,500 on eBay for the truck. When you think about how long it would take to pay for a $2,500 vehicle like that, if you're making 150 bucks a pop, not a whole long period of time. I mean, in a month, you could have it paid for, and then you're totally into just having a cash machine there. Well, thanks for that update. Well, we had the Innovate event here. You've heard me talk about that for months. People are already registering for the events we've got lined up for 2014. If you want to come, you better jump in there. But we had so much happen in this event. Just a couple quick updates. I told you Scott Stearman was going to come. And in the course of the two days, sculpt a totally original 48 Days Eagle. That process was uh, stupendous, astounding, amazing, incredible. Let me grab a thesaurus. I'll go on with the words that describe it. It is beyond description. He was in the room listening, interacting with people, but created this eagle. Now, the eagle that we created, he created, good grief, I don't need to take any credit for that. I certainly did not. But the eagle that he created came out of our talking together. Scott is an artist who, through his art, tells other people's stories. And that's one of the best ways, incidentally, to do art, is to help other people tell their stories. I mean, my friend, friend Ken Abraham, who's a ghostwriter and has written stories with, like, Lisa Beamer, Let's Roll, about when the plane went down 9-11. Um, he wrote Payne Stewart's story after Payne Stewart's plane crashed. Uh, but he's done a lot of people, George Foreman, certainly not just people who are no longer here, but George Foreman, John Ashcroft, Bob Dole, Chuck Norris. He writes other people's stories. That is his art. Well, Scott does that with sculpture. So he wanted to know what I wanted to convey with this eagle. And I said, ah, I don't want just a soaring eagle. There's a lot of those. Ah, I don't want an eagle just sitting somewhere. There's a lot of those. So the eagle that he sculpted is on a branch. Scott actually roamed our property, found a root, a weathered root on our property where the eagle is sitting on that root and is leaning forward where there is too much momentum. You can tell He's fully committed. There's no way to stay on the branch. Wings are spread. The wingspan is about 30 inches across the top. And he's fully committed. The launch. That's the idea I wanted to convey to the group that was here and is the main core message for what I do. Get your ideas together. Do the research. Create a plan of action and launch. Do it. Get in the game. So it's a beautiful picture image of that. So he was creating that the whole time, of course, interacting with people and people were saying, well, gee, how many wings or how many feathers are in the wings? And he counted, well, there's 26 up each side that totals 52. And somebody said, why isn't there 48? Scott reaches out with his sculptor's tool 
erases the division between a couple wings. Guess how many? Guess how many feathers? I mean, between a couple feathers. Guess how many feathers there are now? Forty-eight. Now that eagle is on its way back to Colorado. He will finish it there. He'll do all the fine touches, take out the supporting structure that was there, so it is just supported through the branch that it's sitting on. It'll be cast in bronze. We've got video, time sequence video of the eagle being created here. Jeff Long did a time sequence video, so we'll end up with about a six-minute video that shows it from a ball of clay to what it turned into, including the bronze being poured into the forge, and then the final product that'll come back to the property here. We'll have it mounted on a granite column for everybody to see, touch, I want bare spots on that eagle's nose where people are touching it. So that'll happen within the course of the next month month or so. It'll be back. But just a great way to see art come to life. And Scott is certainly creating his work is his art. Great example of that. Now, how do you leverage that? Just a real quick addition here, because this is really important. Because, you know, artists like Scott can get stuck in just doing one thing at a time. So they do a piece like that and then it's over. And then you hope to get another commission and go on and do something else. No, that's not what we're doing. With technology, giving the options that it does now, he is going to do a computer scan of the completed Eagle. When it's totally finished, completed, he'll do a computer generated image that then can produce replicas in every exact detail where the detail will actually be more pronounced than in this massive piece. So in as much as the big one is, you know, 30 inches across or so, we can do small renderings of that that may be 10 inches tall, where we have it on a walnut base and we give those away or sell them through our business, whatever we choose to do. But it'll be these small bronze eagles conveying the idea of the launch. I mean, I'm so excited about that. It's, it's amazing. Well, we're going to make that available well, what if we sold 5,000 of those? And that would be more than Scott has ever sold of anything because he hasn't been doing replications. He's been doing one piece at a time. World changers, you know, just did a bust of Truett Cathy from Chick-fil-A. But what we're showing him is how to leverage his art by doing duplication through people of influence. Just like Ken Abraham writes a book for George Foreman or Chuck Norris, they're going to sell books to everybody who is in their audience we're going to do the same thing. We're going to make these eagles available for everybody in the 48 days audience. And Scott, as the artist will benefit from that because it's duplicated over and over and over again. I mean, that turns into residual income rather than just linear. That's what we're showing him how to do. And he can go to other people who have audiences as well. I mean, Mike Hyatt was one of the other guys that spoke here at the event. And we're asking Mike, Mike, what is your eagle? What is that iconic image in your business, your audience, that conveys the same kind of thing as the eagle does for Dan? So we're talking to him. Now, Mike talked about his art, what he does. Chuck Bowen was here. Chuck is a business consultant, came to me as a coaching client probably seven or eight years ago now, got into business coaching as coach companies like Saddleback Leather, through their explosive growth from doing about $80,000 a year to now doing this year, they'll hit about 13 million. Uh, He and the owner of that company 
of Saddleback, Dave Munson. They've started their own manufacturing plant now in Mexico, True Blue Productions. So they're producing not only the, the beautiful leather bags that they sell through Saddleback, but also doing work for Jay Peterman and others. So Chuck talked about leveraging his art, what he does. And Chad Jeffers, we Skyped him in. He was in Corpus Christi, Texas, uh, just getting ready to go on stage with Carrie Underwood doing a show there. That's the one where Carrie caught her six-inch heel in a part of the stage. Trip fell over backwards and sprained her leg. But uh, that's another story. We'll talk to Chad about how he has leveraged his art, that of being a dobro player and being so good, the old Steve Martin thing, be so good they can't ignore you. How did you become that guy? How did you leverage your skill to that level? Kent Julian was here. We had Kent share a little bit about growing his business, having come out of being in the youth pastorate and coming out of that and how to leverage the things that he most wanted to do. He wanted to speak and write and how he's gone on to do that and now teaches other speakers and writers how to do that. We heard from Dorsey McHugh, the artist who is writing a book with my wife, Joanne, but they talked, they did a presentation together about how to find your creativity, how to tap into that. Of course, Dorsey sells her paintings for big bucks. Uh, Joanne had some of her work available and sold several of her pieces to the crowd that was here for Innovate. Just a cool kind of thing. We talked to Jared, my son, Skyped him in from Nairobi, Kenya, talked about what a place creativity plays in his life, how without creativity he would shrivel up and die, and he surely would. He's in a place that embraces that. He's uh, in a company that he is a co-owner of now where they do marketing and branding for other organizations, having the time of his life, living his dream, as he shared with our group here. Anyway, we could go on with the success stories of the attendees there. There's a lot of those, and those stories are unfolding as we speak. We're hearing back from people about their experiences, and I'll perhaps share more about those over time as we hear the specific things those people are now going out to do. Well, here's a question comes from Dave Osment. Dave says, I was listening to a couple of your shows on my drive this morning, continued to love the work you're doing, and thought I'd share a question. I have a well-paying job and I'm generally happy with it, but it's not a passion. I'm in what I call a numb zone. I need an income. I have a job. Our needs and more are met. It isn't horrible. And so the wheel turns. One of my longtime passions is Alabama football. And four years ago, acting in part on lessons learned from you, a buddy and I launched a podcast, alabamafootballpodcast.com. It's a lot of fun and we have loyal listeners all around the world. This fall, again, acting on advice from my podcast mentors, I created a preseason guide that was well-received, and I made a couple hundred dollars. Very cool to create something from nothing and get paid for it. My question is this. How do we level up? How do we go from 1,000 weekly downloads to 10,000 or even 20,000 downloads? How do we take what multiple readers call the best preseason guide on the market and make thousands rather than hundreds. My dream would be to replicate my income from the podcast, but the gap between the current hobby income, not enough to cover cost, and the J-O-B income is pretty wide, and I wrestle with how to bridge that gap. I'm certain I'm not alone in this scenario. Passion identified, mobilized, but not scaled to the point of being a realistic option. Again, thanks for all you do. I would not be this far along my journey without your advice and mentoring Thanks, Dave in Atlanta. I love that sentence. Passion identified and mobilized, but not scaled to the point of being a realistic option for income. 
All right. Now, podcasting is popular. Do I love pad- podcasting? Absolutely. I love it. One of the highlights of my week is to do exactly what you're listening to right now. And the feedback I get, you know, I appreciate the constant feedback, but I absolutely love doing what I'm doing. However, podcasting is not a business. Now, some of you may react really harshly against that thing. Oh my gosh, you know, that's what I want to do. I want to do a podcast. That's great. Podcasting is a wonderful tool for marketing and getting exposure for your business. But podcasting itself is really not a business. Now, can you generate a little bit of income? Can you, you know, can you have advertisers? Yeah, but it's really not a great way to have it be your own only focus. Now, sir, you're going to find exceptions. You know, our buddy John Lee Dumas, who does Entrepreneur on Fire, he creates significant income from just advertisers that he has on his podcast. He just interviews other people. He doesn't have, well, now he's starting to develop other components of his business, his mastermind group and products that he's developing, his own eBooks and things like that. So you might say, well, yeah, there are people that are just doing podcasting. You could count on one hand the people that are making a living from a podcast with that being the primary focus of what they're doing. It's not a business. It's a marketing tool. Now, I have a manuscript titled 48 Marketing Tips. Those are things to do to market your business. That's what they are. They're not an income model. They're things to promote. Now, we need that. I mean, anything that you do in a business, unless you are somehow promoting, marketing, and selling that, there's no money going into your bank account. So you have to be doing that. Podcasting is a great way to do that. It's a great way to promote your real business. So the question is, what is your business? If you want to do a podcast to promote it, that's great. What do I do here on this podcast? I mean, I... I mean, I make peanuts from this podcast with everything that you look at, but is it a great tool to let you know about products that we have, new documents that I'm creating, the new mastermind document that I did, you know, recently? Did I mention on here the Innovate Conference that we just had and the ones that will be coming up in 2014? Well, absolutely. I mean, I talk constantly about things that are going on that are parts of our business that are income generating parts of our business but I never look at the podcast as an income generator. Now, some of the things that I mentioned in the 48 marketing tips are things like this. Do newspaper articles have articles in magazines, do interviews with celebrities, have your own radio show, same kind of thing. Now I've had a radio show. Here's how I did it. There are multiple ways to do a radio show. And if you want a radio show, incidentally, it's really not that, complicated to get one radios have inventory their inventory is selling the ad spots recognizing that any hour of commercial radio you're going to have about 12 minutes of news and commercials usually about four of that station breaks and news so you're going to have about eight minutes of commercials so let's say that the radio station is typically going to sell those ad spots for twenty dollars a piece so that's 160 dollars so you say, I want to buy an hour of radio time. Now you can just go on there as talent. They don't pay you anything. You don't pay them anything. 
lot of people do that. You get an hour to talk, and it is, in essence, is an hour-long commercial for what you're doing anyway. But again, there's no point in being on the radio unless you have a business behind the scenes, a business that makes money. Don't look at a radio show as a way to make money. Can you do that? Sure, and I'll tell you how in this example. If you say, well, I'll purchase the hour of radio time, they'll say, great. That's going to cost you $160. What did they do? They just sold you their ad spots. That's all they care about. So they sold you the ad spots. So you pay $160. Now you own that radio show. You're on Saturday morning from 9 to 10 o'clock. You're going to do a great show on gardening tips. You go around to people who want to have exposure to the same audience as you. And you say, look, I'll sell you this ad spot on my radio show. It's only going to cost you 40 bucks and you get exposure to all my listeners. They say, wonderful. So you get eight of those, that's $320. You pay your $160 for the time. Yeah, you just made $160. So not only did you have a radio show to promote, so that advertising exposure didn't cost you anything, you made a little bit of money. But clearly, making 160 bucks a week isn't gonna pay the rent and feed the children. So it's primarily just a method of promoting your business. So. You can write articles, do interviews, have a radio show, be a radio show guest, do podcasting, speak. You can speak to the Rotary Club, civic organizations in your community. You can do TV appearances, write a newsletter, start a blog, comment on other people's blogs, give away a free audio CD on your area of specialty, the little audio CD that we have called Is Your Job Your Calling? Yeah, we've probably given away 10, 15,000 of those uh, you can send creative thank you cards for people who are giving you referrals uh, join two or three organizations in your community go to workshops and seminars have lunch twice a week with someone you can learn from attend two or three major conferences each year i'm getting ready to go to one this next week i'll have a personal mastermind read three or four magazine articles or mar- magazines each month Those are all ways to promote your business. And you see that I had podcasting in that long list. And there's a whole lot more on that 48 marketing tips. Those are all ways to promote a business. Those are not a business themselves. If you want a business, then you need to have a core. What is it that you're doing that people would pay you for? Is it going to be coaching, writing, providing a service, painting houses, Can you from that have products that you create that you sell? Yeah, probably. Can you speak where you not only speak free, but get paid a little bit for that? Sure, you can move into that if you have good stage presence and people like hearing you. Can you do live events where you say, well, I'm going to get together 20 people next month and have them pay $300 for an event? Well, sure, there's 6,000 bucks. You can start to look at ways you can create a real business But again, podcasting is a way to promote your business, not a business in and of itself. Well, let me move on. I know I parked there a little bit longer, but it's such a common question. I hear so many people saying, well, gee, I'm going to start a blog. Well, that's great. What's your business? Well, what do you mean? That's what I'm going to start a blog. Well, I understand. What's your business? That's not a business. Gee, I want to start a podcast. That's great. You know, what business are you promoting? What's your business? Oh, I just want to do a podcast. No, no. Those are things to promote a real business. Well, we move on here. This comes from Kate. 
Kate said, I recently discovered a unique way to display my photography of local businesses, and I was excited to start this as a side business. When I went to apply to be a vendor in an upcoming craft show, I was informed there is someone else already doing the same business, so they don't want two of us in the same type of craft. What should I do? I feel so disappointed as I had not found anyone else doing this sort of thing in my area when I was researching the opportunity. Thanks for your encouraging words. I always feel more hopeful after listening to your podcast, Kate. Well, thanks for your question, Kate. And I'm going to encourage you and give you hope in this as well. If you are starting a business and nobody else has ever done it, you really have your work cut out for you. You're going to have a real challenge because a lot of what you're going to be doing is educating people that they even have a need. You can get rich by doing something 10% better or providing added value to what's already being done. So if you want, if you 30 years ago said, I'm going to open a little pizza joint, I'm going to have this flat, thin piece of bread. I'm going to throw some veggies on there, burn the sucker in the oven and then sell it to you. People would say, what are you talking about? What is that ridiculous thing you're trying to do? Nobody understood what pizzas were you would have had a really hard time. Today, wow, we've got Little Caesars, um, CeCe's Pizza, Papa John's, Pizza Hut, and we go on and on and on and on. What did Domino's do when they got into the pizza business? Did they take one of the two approaches that people normally look at? If you're going to get into a crowded business already, you either need to provide a better pizza or sell it cheaper. They didn't do either one. They didn't focus on either of those. They simply were the first ones to guarantee 30-minute delivery, and it created millionaires all across the country. That's what you need to look at. How can you do something that is already being done by lots of other people and just simply do it 10% better? When I wrote 48 Days to the Work You Love, were there other books on the shelf available about how to find your passion, how to find work that's meaningful, how to find the opportunities nobody else finds, how to interview well, how to start your own business. Yeah, about 85 on any bookstore that you walk into. There already, there's all kinds of things, wonderful books, like What Color Is Your Parachute by Richard Bowles. Lots of books. It didn't matter. I didn't approach it. In, I want another book on the bookshelf at Barnes & Noble, and I'm going to compete with everybody else. I just simply started providing what people were already asking me for. I was teaching a Sunday school class and people said, wow, I want to be able to share what you just shared with us with my cousin who's been without a job for four months. I didn't have anything. I ultimately created just a loose compilation of notes. And really what has made 48 days resound with people so much. And, and the results of that have gone you know, so far beyond anything I could have even dreamed of at the time but it has done extremely well now for almost 10 years. We're doing the revision on that. That'll be released in November of 2014 as a 10th anniversary edition. We're going to be coming out with a new edition of that. But I think what's made that do so exceptionally well is that rather than just looking at how to interview well, how to look great when you walk in, how to get negotiate your salary, get the job. I really focused 85% of the process and looking inward first to give people a real sense of who they uniquely are, what your strongest area of competency is, what you're most passionate about, 
and from that to create a clear focus before you ever even create a resume. So there's all that pre-work that helped people feel like, wow, they really had their feet solidly on the ground. I think that's what's given me that unique edge. And integrating a spiritual component of that, this is not just how you go out here and make income, but this is how you really find truly who you were made to be and then turn that into meaningful work. I think it gave me an edge in that arena, but it was certainly a very crowded arena already with lots and lots of resources. You can do the same with the way you want to display your photography, the unique thing you want to do. Don't worry about not being able to be in one particular show, craft show that's coming out. Golly, get in the next six that are going to be done in your, be the first one in, find out where those are going to be and who's going to be putting them together. You be the first one in those. Find other ways to promote what you're doing. Being in a craft show is one small, tiny way to promote your business. Get it in any way. Don't let the fact that there are other competitors deter you. Just do it a little better than what they're doing. I mean, that's uh, even working with authors. I mean, we know that 95% of authors never make more than $40,000 a year. Wow. Is that discouraging? No, not that somebody wired like I am. I simply ask myself immediately, how difficult can it be to put yourself in that 5% where you make five, 10 times as much as what a normal author makes? I just, all I need to do is look at what authors do typically and don't do those things. Do some other things. You can do the same in any business that you want to go into. This comes from John from Hiawatha, Iowa. Dan, on a previous podcast, you expressed concern over someone whose business name and website address were not the same or even synonymous. Where can someone go to see if the business name they want to use is available? And how would they verify that name or similar name is available for a website domain name? All right. Great question, John. You've got, you've got multiple questions immersed in what you're asking here. The most important place to have your name is the URL, the domain. If I want 48 days to be my brand, the most important thing in the world for me to have is 48days.com. Now, there are others as well, .org, .biz, .edu. We can go on. There's nothing as important as the .com, even in today's environment. So I want that. That's the most important place I'm going to look. Beyond that, I don't really care who else has anything with 48 days. That's the most important thing to have. I don't have danmeller.com as an example. I mean, being such a common name, somebody had that years before I ever thought about getting it. And I don't really care. I mean, I've never even researched who has it. It doesn't matter. My, my name is synonymous with the 48 days, and that's what, where we get the prominence if you do any kind of a search. We own that, 48 days, just because of the, all the amazing quantity of activity under the 48 days brand. So that's what I look for. If you are going to form a corporation, if you're going to form an S corp or an LLC, which would be the, the most likely legal organizations you would want to form. If you were going to form a business in the kind of arena that we talk about most of the time here, the other corporation would be a C corp. That would be unlikely for most of the ideas we talk about here. That would be like for a McDonald's or for a, a Boeing or American Airlines or Microsoft. They're going to be a C-Corp where you can keep retained earnings in the company and all that. Nah, most likely you would want to be an S-Corp or a LLC. To do that, 
there would be a national search to see if anybody else is using the name that you want to have. So there it becomes an issue. Our corporate name is 48 Days LLC. So it is the same as our domain. Yeah, ideally you would want to have that. Do I do things other 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 names? Yeah, we've got, uh, I just got an update from GoDaddy, but I think we've got like 87 domains that we have. I have all kinds of domains. Most of those just direct you to 48days.com, but there are things where we can have standalone businesses under those names. Do I do things under just Dan Miller when I write? Yeah, absolutely. So there's a lot of kind of uh, other things that we're doing as well, but the primary brain brand name and domain is all 48 days. That's really what you want, but the domain is the most important. Well, just, uh, just a reminder here, let's bring this in real quickly here. We're going through questions that are submitted by you, the listeners. You know, sometimes I think about having a particular theme that we're going to stick to, but normally the questions go all over the place having to do with running your own business. So that's really pretty much open game. If you got a question, just go to 48days.com, click on the podcast link. You can submit a question there either by writing it out or just leave a message. You can just hit the little speak pipe microphone and leave a message there. Or you can always send an email to askdan at 48days.com. Those go into a special email file that I don't look at during the week. And then boom, Wednesday morning, I get to open that up. It's like Christmas for me. I open up that askdan at 48days.com and go through the questions there. Now, this is an interesting scenario here. Ted Yoder, I'm sure you've heard me talk about Ted before. Ted's been here to the sanctuary multiple times. I'll, I'll read his question and then just do a little bit of expansion. Ted says, you know me and I, you, I, you've shared some of my story, but I'm running into a wall that I don't know how to get over. After I won the national title in 2010, he was the national dulcimer champion. He says, I focused on the quickest way to make cash. That would be to hit the dulcimer world. That's going great, but here's the wall. I'm still not drawing people with the name Ted Yoder. When I go to try to book a new theater, they ask, how many people can you draw? Well, I performed for thousands of people, but those people were there mostly because of the venue. How can I get over the hump of getting known, but not being able to book new places because I'm not known enough? Does that make sense? I've been likened to someone as wonderful as George Winston, so I don't question my talent, just feeling stuck. Well, if you aren't familiar with Ted's music, let me give you just a real short clip of Ted's music here, and then I'm going to answer his question. Well, that's Ted's music. That is a hammered dulcimer. It's a beautiful, beautiful instrument. Kind of like a harp, but it's played with these little hammers that you have in your hand rather than strumming them with your fingers. And it lays horizontally rather than being upright like a harp. Anyway, it's an unusual instrument. Ted loves the music, as do I, playing there, that old classic, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. Just a beautiful, beautiful instrument. 
He practiced. Ted was a carpet layer. That's what he was doing in his real job. And he lost his job. And he thought, am I ever going to do something with this hammered dulcimer? Or am I just going to get another job laying carpet and do this as a hobby? Well, his wife encouraged him. He took the jump. It was much earlier than what he had anticipated making a total leap, but he did. And I remember some of the stories he told where he went out like the first day knocking on doors at retirement centers. And he had like three of them agree to have him come in and play for their residence where they would pay him for doing so. The first month that he was full-time in his hammered dulcimer business, he made $7,000. That was more than he was making as a carpet layer. Just a great story of once you're committed, it's a great story of the launch. That eagle making the launch, yeah, absolutely. Make the launch, and once he did, doors of opportunity opened up. And I know he's, he's doing well. He's got some wonderful albums. How do you expand your audience? How do you get these bigger venues to play you? How do you get them to allow you to come in? Now, remember I just talked about the Innovate Conference that we just had here. Was that two days of people just listening to Dan Miller? No. I went through a list of, I I had a limited time. Now I interacted with people a lot. We had a lot of breaks. We had all the meals here, you know, catered on the property and a lot of time to hang out. And Friday night, people were here till after 11 o'clock. So we had a lot of time informally, but I had people like Chuck Bowen share because he has a unique area of expertise. I had Michael Hyatt share on how do you create a platform? How do you get an audience? I wanted people to hear that. I wanted people to hear from Dorsey McHugh and Joanne Miller. I wanted people to hear from Chad Jeffers on how he's gone to the top of the game as a guitar dobro player. I wanted people to hear from Jared, my son who lives in Africa. How has he created a life that is full of creativity and artistic endeavors? What I'm suggesting, maybe you need an opening act. Maybe you need to put together, you can be the organizer. What if you put together a group of musicians so it wasn't just you? So everybody would tap into their audience. Everybody would be promoting to the audience they have. You put it together, you compensate those people, a small percentage or however you want to do that. Frankly, the way I do, all those speakers that I mentioned that I had here, At my event, I paid them zero. Now we give them little goodie bags with fudge in it and books and plaques and things, but cash money, zero. So it's not like I've got some big budget. Those are all people who like having exposure to the group that I bring together. And then also, like this next week, I'll be in Vail, Colorado. Guess what I'm doing? Mike Hyatt and Ken Davis have their event launch that'll be in Vail. I'm speaking there. So I speak at his event. He speaks at mine. Kent Julian, I want him to have exposure to my audience. When he does his speaker boot camp coming up in October, I'll be there. So we do a lot of trade-off where it's no expense to anybody, but we do, we share audiences where everybody wins with those shared audiences. I would suggest you look at doing that where it's not just you and perhaps people who are not familiar with your name, Ted, or perhaps not familiar with the hammer dulcimer. But if you brought together three or four other acts, here's another example. Sunday night, this last Sunday night, we went to hear 
Chris Isaac. Now, Chris Isaac, golly. I mean, we invited Dave and Sharon Ramsey. They were in Knoxville. They jumped in the car and came back to Nashville. We met for dinner, had sushi together, and then we went to hear Chris Isaac. You mean you don't know who Chris Isaac is? I see some of you out there scratching your head. You don't know who Chris, you don't know who Chris Isaac is. This guy's been around. I mean, he played with Jerry Lee Lewis and Elvis. His music is phenomenal. I love his music. One of my Pandora stations, I uh, have him as the primary artist, but then it brings in Roy Orbison, Elvis, and others kind of in that same. Hey, I'll tell you what. I'll, uh, I'll give you a quick clip here just so you know, and then I want to tell you why what we saw Sunday night is an important point for how Ted can expand his audience. Baby, do that bad thing. Chris Isaac. Baby, do that bad thing. Baby, do that bad thing. You ever loved someone so much you thought your little heart was going to break in two? I don't think so. You ever pray with all your heart so to get your little back to you? You ever pray with all your heart and soul and to walk away? Hey, I wish you could see the guitar playing going on. I wish you could see his blue sequin suit. I wish you could see what he's doing on stage. Well, anyway, that's Chris Isaac. Now, here's the deal. So, yeah, Dave and Sharon, Joanna and I went to dinner, went down to War Memorial Auditorium here in Nashville. Beautiful venue. And guess what? The concert started at 7 o'clock. Guess when Chris came on the stage? 8.32. An hour and 32 minutes later because there was an opening act and then another opening act and then another opening act. Now, those were people that I was not familiar with. One of them was Chris's brother, which was kind of interesting. But when you go to a concert like that, I mean, that's pretty typical. There's going to be multiple artists that are going to be there before you get to the headliner. So you could be the headliner, Ted, as the dulcer, as the national dulcimer champion, but you could also have some other people there because they're going to immediately go to work promoting that show to everybody they know. So then you have more chance of filling the seats in a the theater. I mean, if you come to Franklin here, we've got this really cool theater downtown a few years ago it was clear that it wasn't going to survive you can't make money on a little 300 seat theater old-timey place but everybody wanted it to be there there's so much nostalgia and having a downtown theater right on main street in downtown franklin so it was purchased by the heritage foundation who kind of oversees historical things they raised seven million dollars through donations renovated it it is a beautiful place and there's a lot of big name people who come there and play that little tiny place because the funding is not just from admission tickets any longer but you can rent it out you can rent out that little theater it's a very intimate um john acuff a lot of you know john acuff he just did his book launch there in that little theater Really, I, uh, we were out of town at the time, so I wasn't there. But, you know, it's a great place to do small events like that. So look at opportunities to do that where you partner with other people, where you pull in their audience, their influence as well. 
Well, here's another, here's another question that kind of comes along with that from John. He says, how do I turn a passion such as singing and playing a guitar into a living without doing the starving artist routine while waiting to be discovered? Well, John, my encouragement is don't wait to be discovered. I mean, success is seldom a matter of luck or being in the right place at the right time. Just figure out how to do what few other performers are doing. Be aggressive about getting engagements. Hand out sample CDs. I mean, solicit playing at weddings, graduations, other performance venues. Do joint appearances, just like we're talking about here with other known groups or performers. I mean, develop a specialty. I mean, you can be the guy who, I mean, Chris Isaac, I mean, he does a lot of covers. Roy Orbison, you know, Pretty Woman. I, I, in fact, I love his I think I like his rendition of that perhaps better than Roy Orbison himself, but you could be a guy who plays a Roy Orbison song every eighth song or something that gives you that USP, unique selling proposition. People often ask me how I have so many things funneling business my way. Well, it's not one thing. It's the 20 things I was doing 10 years ago that have now created a snowball momentum. It's the 20 things I was doing 10 years ago that have allowed me to be discovered. So you don't just get discovered. You get in the game. I mean, it's the old Seth Godin thing. Don't wait to be picked. Pick yourself. That's a great line for this question. Pick yourself. Don't wait to be discovered. Discover yourself and get out there. And you don't have to wait on anybody else to tap you on the shoulder. Hey, one more question here real quick. How would you address the fear that comes with wanting to start your own business? We'll wrap up with this one. People who start businesses always vacillate between terror and exhilaration. I mean, both can be exciting and motivating. Don't, don't expect the fear to ever be totally gone. That would be unrealistic. Just be confident that pushing through the fear holds a potential to get you through to a sense of fulfillment and financial freedom that you could never expect to get in any other way. I mean, so many of the people that I talk to who started something on their own are what we call accidental entrepreneurs. They didn't even want to do something on their own, but not being able to find a job or getting fired or losing their job. All of a sudden they figured I better do something to keep food on the table. And they discovered something that did blend their passion, their talent and had an economic model and now they're, you know, making three times the money they ever dreamed of making. Just recognize there's always fear. I mean, do I have fear when I walk out on a stage? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I have butterflies to this day. I just want to line those butterflies up a little bit, but I don't want to get rid of that. I don't want to ever not have that edge that, wow, this could damage my reputation. These people could not like me. I mean, I'm going to have that kind of fear no matter what it is that I'm doing. If I write a new book, am I going to get criticism? A hundred percent of the time, anybody is going to do that. I mean, that's that part. That, that's that part. Don't try to please everybody. If you can please a third of the people, you can become a bazillionaire. Trust me, even less than that. Well, we'll develop that more another time. Get in the game, do what you fear, and the fear disappears. Well, Here's a quick wrap up for some of the things. Is your work your art? Remember that quotation? Art is what we do when we are truly alive. If you are truly alive and feel that way when you're doing your work, you are creating art. Can you replicate your income with your podcast? I don't think it's a good approach. I think you got to have a real business and use a podcast to promote it. Should you be disappointed if you find out somebody else is doing what you want to do and starting a business? No, you should be elated 
because that means there's already a market for it. People are educated and they already have decided they want what you're going to provide. Well, anyway, we've got other questions I didn't get to. We'll do that at another time. Keep those questions coming in. Remember, you can always go to 48days.com. Click on the podcast link and provide your question there. You can also just shoot an email to askdan at 48days.com. Again, that's askdan at 48days.com. Comes right into that special file with all these wonderful questions that we can unpack together. Thanks for being part of this team where we are, in fact, finding or creating work that is meaningful, purposeful, fulfilling, and profitable. Always adding that. We don't need to ignore that.